1: Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about Scottish food and drink. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and with Halloween coming up, we thought nothing would be more fitting than to explore all things pumpkins. Coming up... I visit Arnprior Farm in Stirlingshire to hear about why a pumpkin patch is the most Instagrammable date night. When we first opened the pumpkins, it was
2: all sort of families. And then as the years went on, we started to see a lot of people coming on dates. And I think the likes of, you know, your Mr. Bones pumpkin patch over in L.A. It's all about the dates and the Instagram pictures of, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend with their
1: pumpkin and their dog. So it was actually really, it was quite a nice thing to develop. Next, I visit Kilduff Farm in East Lothian to hear about ways to be sustainable with your pumpkins this year.
0: You can eat Halloween varieties and, and that's what we're trying to encourage people to do is actually not just buy them for carving or if you're going to buy one purely for carving then buy another one to
1: make a big pot of soup or... Or um,
3: use your carving uh, leftovers to make a pot of soup.
1: And finally, I wouldn't be getting fully into the Halloween spirit without making my very own pumpkin spice latte. And I've got some nut gonna add in the pumpkin and then stir. I finally got back out and about on the road for this episode to visit two pumpkin farms. My first stop was Arnprior Farm in Stirlingshire. Opened in 2015, Arnprior was one of the first to pick your own pumpkin farms in Scotland, run by Duncan and Rebecca who live on the farm with their children and Duncan's parents. Arm and Pumpkin Patch is a popular family day out every year. I headed along to chat to Rebecca and check out this year's crop. I need to mention that this interview was conducted before the most recent restrictions were announced for the Central Belt. The pumpkin picking is going ahead, but slightly differently than when first planned. So today I am on the pumpkin patch on Prior Farm, and I'm joined by Rebecca, who is co-farmer co-owner. Co-farmer, yeah. Co-farmer? <laughs> Duncan and his mum and dad and myself all farm farm here. So has farming always been part of your life or is this something you're new to?
2: I'm born and bred on a sheep and beef farm down in southwest Scotland in Galloway. So my mum's a farmer down there and so yeah very much brought up with the whole farming life and very much involved always with lambing and uh, sheep work and then obviously I went off to school and university and did media studies and ended up working in television and then it wasn't until I had children that I started to sort of stopped doing tv work and then I became more hands-on in the farm helping Duncan with sheep and well not so much cattle work but yeah more sheep work up here nice so it's a bit of a change from the telly then (laughs) a wee bit of a change yeah it's actually been quite nice it was a design department I worked with so the art department in television so I was a, a assistant prop buyer so I was very much able to bring my sort of love of design into our diversifications when we started doing them up here
1: and you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were one of the first, if not the first, to grow pumpkins, is that right? Yeah, so
2: we were the first actual pumpkin farm, yeah. So there's a few pick-your-own farms in Scotland that had pumpkins sort of growing alongside their fruit their fruit picking. So yeah, so we were the first farm to sort of do um, just pumpkins. And how long ago was that now? As I was pregnant with my third child, Erin, so she was born 2015. I always have to count back. So yeah, so 2015... So we were, yeah, planting them and everything. Yes, 2015 was our first year, and we only grew 0.1 of an acre then. So I think we trialed 300 seeds back in 2015.
1: And um, why do you think it's become so popular? Because it was a turnip in Scotland, which I mean, I know they're a nightmare.
2: I know absolutely. (laughs) Everyone's had a cut finger as a child. So I think the whole pumpkin idea came from Duncan, sort of looking into diversify. Obviously, we have our sheep. We reduced our cattle numbers and we still have arable. but the, with our location in Armpryor, obviously with it being next to a really busy road, we felt we could do some sort of a diversification to invite people onto the farm and pumpkins seemed to sort of tick all the boxes. I'd always had an idea that I'd love to do sunflowers or lavender, but I don't know if the Stirlingshire climate would really allow for something you know, like that. And pumpkins came up, you know, sort of on the checklist of things we could possibly try. And it just really sort of evolved from there. Um, we'd never visited a pumpkin farm ourselves. We have family across in America that have their sort of yearly pilgrimage to their pumpkin patch in Pennsylvania. So we'd always known there were a huge thing, in, you know, in America, but never been to one in Scotland. And I thought it was something we just needed to, to have a go at.
1: And they quite hard to grow or are they quite easy?
2: I think probably for us, being farmers, they're the hardest crop to grow from everything else we grow. The other things we grow on the farm are barley, wheat, oats, kale, turnips. And potatoes but out of all those t- pumpkins definitely are the one that really every year there's a different problem so the first year was actually probably our best year because it was a fantastic variety it was called dependable and it just grew so so well and then we've never been able to get that variety again which is a shame i don't know that's the thing with seeds they're not always available so every year we sort of trial six different varieties just to see what works best with the climate and this is us on our sixth year and i i Honestly, don't think we've cracked it still. I think every year is a trial and error. And the weather is another big factor that always throws in curveballs.
1: And we've had great weather during lockdown. Has that been a good thing for the pumpkins? or?
2: So when we were planting them out, the weather was amazing. But when they were really needing a bit of dry weather, I think that would be back in sort of July. There seemed to be a bit of a, a nasty bit of weather. So that didn't help in their favour. And we actually lost quite a lot of the young fruit. They just sort of turned to mush. So yeah, there was a little bit of problems back in July, but saying that we've allowed for waste, we always grow way more than we're going to probably sell because fruit being fruit and, you know, it just always can sort of not be the best. But yeah, it's been an okay year. I wouldn't say it's our best and it's not our worst. We're we're quite happy.
1: And do you have a popular kind of variety of pumpkin? Because I was here last year and you had white ones, which I've never yes. seen before. So
2: actually, talking about successful years, white pumpkins. See if I could be a white pumpkin farmer this year would be the best. We've got the best crop of white pumpkins this year. I've, honestly, just they're huge, they're heavy, they're just beautiful shaped. So yeah, it's been a really good year for white pumpkins, which is lucky because they're one of the most popular. We also do warty pumpkins called knucklehead. And they're a little bit smaller, but again, people like them for doorsteps. So I think also people are starting to maybe look at their pumpkins for maybe more sort of doorstep decoration rather than the traditional carving.
1: And where do you get the seeds from?
2: So we've got a few different suppliers. We get them from the same you know suppliers that do all our other farm seeds, like our barley. So it's all through uh, um,
1: an agent. And all going well this year. Fingers crossed, Touchwood. <laughs> What are your dates um, and what can people kind of expect when they show up?
2: So the dates this year are the 12th of October through to the 25th. And then we're doing after school sessions on the 26th till the 30th. So that's just three till six. And then we've got a grand finale on the 31st. So it's the first time we've actually had um, a pumpkin picking season on Halloween itself. Pumpkin picking on Halloween is a fancy dress day as well so it will be a lovely day on on Halloween itself but yeah it's been it's sort of been tricky to sort of know what we're going to be you know putting on at the patch this year purely because of the whole social distancing so our plan at the moment is to keep everything you know quite zoned so everybody has their own area and it can all be marshalled but um we'll have our local caterers and our local coffee and gin truck and pizzas We've also got all our usual photo opportunities outside as well as a bale mountain, but it's keeping it so everything's very much outside. And when you come inside to our polytunnels, you know, to pay, it's purely just a one-way system. There's not any of the little crafts that we'd usually like. So that's a bit of a shame, but it's, I think it's a year just to make everything run quite, quite smoothly and um, safely.
1: And we're sitting here in the lovely warm sunshine, which I suspect when this episode goes out will be a distant memory. <laughs> oh,
2: well, let's hope not. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just hope that it, it does last.
1: Um, but we're surrounded by your, I was going to say pumpkin pods, <laughs> pumpkin <laughs> pods your pods, uh, which you opened last year. Can you just tell me a little bit about them?
2: Yes. Yeah, so we've got four glamping pods. Uh, we opened, as you said, in October last year, and they are all sort of, all sleep five and are decorated individually. So that's when I said I bring my designs that are passed into sort of my diversifications. so it was really good fun making each one quite individual, using as much Scottish sort of suppliers as possible. Like I'm very passionate about Scottish brands. Each pod itself also has its own private hot tub, and they're all underfloor heated, so they're really cozy, so even in sort of winter months from like January, eh, December, January, February, they're really cozy. And then on the side of that, we have our indoor heated swimming pool, which is heated from our biomass boiler, which eh, we installed on the farm about seven years ago. So So that's a sort of little add-on that the glamping podders can enjoy when they come and stay.
1: And you talked about diversification. Is that something that you're always thinking about? Is it always something you have to kind of keep in the back of your mind? Or do you think this is what you've got now is what you're going to stick with?
2: We're at Fourth Valley Monitor Farmers in 2012, which was when we were, it was run by the Scottish Agricultural College, which invited lots of people to come onto the farm, local farmers. And, you know, you would really look at what your farming system was. You would see how it worked. What didn't work, and we found on our farm, it's eight hundred acres, so it really enjoyed sheep. You know, as far as enjoy sheep, it was it had a lot of land that um, favoured sheep. But as far as cattle um, on our farm, it just wasn't working for us. So we decided to sell all our cows, increase our sheep numbers, and then look into diversification. And pumpkins was the first one, and then obviously um, evolved into our lambing experience, and then our pods and our pool so I think sort of when things were starting to sort of be shaken up a little bit in agriculture it it did make a lot of farmers look into what they had on their farm and how they could change things and there are more and more farmers doing diversification but I have to say where we're at right now I'm quite happy at just you know keeping what we have our work-life balance is probably more work than life at the moment just because everything's just a bit crazy but I think once things start to settle down, we'll just enjoy what we've got.
1: And your lambing experience, which I don't think went ahead this year, did it?
2: It didn't go ahead, unfortunately. No, there was just no way we could have made it work. So it's a really sort of small, personal experience where there's only thirty people per hour, and you get a tour around our lambing shed and get to see everything that we do, and hopefully witness a live birth and get to cuddle a lamb and feed some sheep. So it's it's a really lovely experience, and it's things as farmers we all take for granted because it's part of our livelihood. but um a lot of people that you know live in the city love to come out to the countryside and be on the farm and it's been really nice We did sort of some webinars of the of the lambing experience and then we were also involved in Go Rural's lambathon not their lambathon but Go Rural did a lambathon of different farms during lambing time and then we were involved in their like visit our farm which followed the lambathon so Go Rural's a really it's a fantastic sort of network of agritourism and it was a fantastic showcase of all the farms in Scotland of what they do on their farm whether it be lambing calving milking so that was quite good
1: yeah it's nice for people to get like a real insight because there's you know there's a obviously growing mov- movement of like veganism and that kind of thing yeah. and you know you watch these things on Netflix and it's you know the over the top farming in America yeah. but actually here from everyone I've spoken to on the podcast it's very it's not like that at all like it's
2: I know it's the whole the welfare of everyone's animals is everyone's you know it's it's the priority because you know if you if you've got happy animals on your farm it's it's you know it makes everything so much better it's a shame that there's maybe one farm per few thousand or, or one farm per million I really don't know any statistics but I think when that one farm is shared on YouTube or Facebook or social media it's it's a real kick in the teeth to farmers that care so much for, you know, for their life, you know, for their livestock.
1: Yeah. And lambs are so cute. <laughs> and lambs are
2: so cute. We always also say that lamb is probably the worst named meat. You know, it's if people who like I I love lamb as a meat, but you know, when you actually eat lamb it is no way a lamb. You know, it's not a baby lamb at all. It's just that's what it's called and it's it's much older. It's weird, isn't it? You yeah. think they
1: should name it like is it mutton that's older is So that muttons it?
2: that's like yeah you're usually I, I don't know the exact age of a mutton but it's definitely you know a few years old the sheep and it's much sort of stronger flavored whereas yeah when lamb is um for eating it's by no way a baby lamb so it would be probably between sort of seven months yeah you know on average but seven to seven months to a year but it's Bigger than its mum, you know, it's huge. She, it, if it was to go and try and suckle from her, it, it would lift her off the ground because <laughs> they literally they're they're boisterous.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's good for people to to understand that I think. Yeah. Do you get any people coming from the city who are in no way prepared in terms of like what they're wearing or what they're expecting to see when something's been born?
2: (laughs) So we've had a couple of fainters, um, which is a wee wee shame. Usually it's a nine o'clock group that haven't either had their breakfast or they're maybe just a bit squeamish. We actually had somebody that um, was on a date and he fainted, which was a shame. (laughs) It was a a boyfriend, girlfriend coming on a date to the lambing Experience and he got weak at the knees and then... Uh, keeled over uh, um so you had to have a cup of tea to bring him bring him right again make <laughs> sure he could cope with the next half but no by no way is it is it squeamish but yeah sometimes I suppose if you do see a live birth that you know there's a lot of fluid and a little bit of blood but yeah. it's all okay the, the sheep's not in pain or I say not in pain she's she's very much being cared for
1: and having <laughs> a baby so <laughs> and having a baby yeah,
2: as much pain as we would all be
1: in. <laughs> interesting date for lambing to Mm -hmm. go and see lambs getting born you do a date night on the pumpkin patch as well well, don't you
2: yes so this is something that we um introduced last year because there's so many obviously when we first opened the pumpkins it was all sort of families and then as the years went on we started to see a lot of people coming on dates and I think the likes of you know your Mr Bones pumpkin patch over in LA it's all about the dates and the Instagram pictures of you know boyfriend girlfriend with their pumpkin and their dog so it was actually really it was quite a nice thing to develop for the pumpkin patch at arm prior so last year we had we had a live band from kippen which was nice and a gin thing the gin thing which is our gin truck and uh, the local catering company came in and did like a lovely stovey so it was nice a warming autumn food and then they just everyone just sat drank gin and carved their pumpkins so We've got a few different things, hopefully, for this year. It's just finding something new every year, but we've got some little ideas of how, you know, some different opportunities for this year.
1: And just finally, what do you do with any of the leftover pumpkins? Do you end up making tons of soup and get sick of it in the end?
2: (laughs) So we probably actually, embarrassingly, I never even carved a pumpkin last year. My poor children just, I think they carved one back for a display in end of of September and then... (laughs) The time it came to Halloween we hadn't even carved a pumpkin how awful is that so no for me I probably don't do any baking or cooking through the whole of October but I'm very passionate about getting everyone that's buying our pumpkins to to cook or bake with them uh, so we quite often hand out recipe cards we had a chef Martin Lutti last year he actually comes and does our pizzas he came and did a demonstration and did a lovely pumpkin risotto which was absolutely delicious so I'm going to try and get that recipe on recipe cards for this year, and just hand them out to people. You know, when they're taking them home, because I still can't believe how many people don't know that you can eat them or cook with them. Really, You'd think it would be the like the given, but it's am- amazing how many people ask. So yeah, I think soup's probably your most simplest thing, and it's always you know saying to people, you know, pumpkin is such a bland fruit. It's got a fantastic sort of consistency, but I think as far as you know. C- You know, when you make soup, you have so many more flavours you need to add to your soup. So ideally, if I had time, I'd love to make up little soup packs for people to take home. That's something I thought I would try and do for this year, but it's suddenly September and I'm not (laughs) organised. We'll
1: see. Well, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Next, I visited Kilduff Farm in East Lothian. Owners Lucy and Russ talked to me about their decision to open in 2008 and their quest to reduce waste associated with Halloween and pumpkins. Last year, the dedicated culinary pumpkin patch was a huge hit, with nine different varieties successfully grown. This year, the team have trialed a further four varieties to carve and cook with, something Lucy and Russ are keen to promote to stop waste. Staying back on another pumpkin farm, I'm at Kilduff Farm, which is in East Lothian near North Berwick, with Lucy and Russ, the owners of the farm. Hi guys, how are you?
0: Hi, nice to meet you.
3: Hi, nice to meet you.
1: <laughs> so, can you just tell me a bit about the farm? Have you always been in farming? Is this a new thing or...?
3: Yes, uh, I've always farmed. I grew up on the farm. It was my grandfather's farm, who bought it in 1963, and I have been farming here since 2000 under my grandfather, and then took it on in 2010.
1: What kind of farm is it? Out with pumpkins.
3: It's a arable farm in East Lothian, so we grow wheat, oats, and beans predominantly, and now diversified into pumpkins
1: and what was it what was it that made you go into pumpkins
3: well we decided we wanted a diversification where our children could get more involved being an arable farm the machinery is quite large and they can sit on a tractor but there's not a lot that they can do so we wanted them to be able to get hands on and growing something on the farm
1: when did you go into it? Was it 2010 or that's just when you took over uh,
3: No, that's when I took over. Pumpkins, we started growing four years ago. This is our first year we opened just to friends and family, did a small patch. And then we opened to the public uh, three years ago. So this is our third year of doing Pick Your Own and culinary pumpkins.
1: So what kind of varieties? You mentioned culinary pumpkins. Are they slightly different to normal pumpkins or... Very early on, we realized that people didn't
0: really know how to cook with pumpkins um, and lots of people didn't know you could actually eat pumpkins. So we decided that we would try to encourage uh, to reduce waste. There's a huge amount of waste associated with pumpkins. We thought we decided that we would try to grow some specific culinary varieties to promote that pumpkins are, are great to eat as well. So that's really the reason that we started on culinary pumpkins and are are promoting sort of recipes and and cooking with them.
1: So did you did you start with just normal pumpkins and move into culinary pumpkins, or has it always been a kind of mixable? We started with what we call
0: Halloween pumpkins, so the big orange things that you see in supermarkets and. and and people carve for Halloween and then and we did grow a few different varieties in our first couple of years but last year we really um, invested time in working out uh, varieties what to grow and we started growing I think this year we've got 11 or we tried 11 varieties and we have um,
1: nine that have been successful
0: of the culinary varieties
1: and so can you cook and eat the Halloween orange ones or are they just not very. all pumpkins are
0: edible and every part of a pumpkin is edible um, except for the stock but the larger Halloween varieties are just basically big uh, bowls of water so they're not as tasty they're not as sweet they don't last as long so the culinary varieties are are developed for their texture and taste. So they are much tastier. But yeah, you can you can eat Halloween varieties, and and that's what we're trying to encourage people to do: is actually not just buy them for carving. Or if you're going to buy one purely for carving, then buy another one to make a big pot of soup, or, um, or
3: use your carving uh, leftovers to make a pot of soup
0: with a lot of seasoning. Yeah, <laughs> it is, yeah. It needs a bit of seasoning, but pumpkins carry flavour, so it's that's perfect. You can use lots of spices and herbs and, and to make
1: them really, really tasty. So we're in 2020. It's gone a bit crazy. <laughs> are you still having people to come and pick your own this year?
3: Yes, we are. We didn't know quite how it was going to affect us in the last week. It's been a bit of a... <laughs> uh, stress on the brain but we've got through it and yeah we're still able to go ahead we're going to do pick your own and uh, we've had to reduce our offerings to the client uh, but we are still going ahead with pick your own
1: and is, is that kicking off quite soon or is it sort of towards halloween
3: uh we start next friday so the 16th is our first uh, date uh, and then we run through to halloween
0: unfortunately because of covid restrictions we've had to we've sold tickets this year for the first time and we've reduced our numbers so we are sold out of their our picking sessions um but fingers crossed for next year that we'll be able
1: to offer uh be back up and running at full speed and you did a, a culinary pumpkin kind of masterclass. was that another way for people to sort of learn how to cook with pumpkins
0: yeah so um we did that last year we were hoping to do another one this year but just with the restrictions we've not managed to so Last year we invited chefs and foodies uh, just to really learn about our culinary pumpkins. Well, not just ours, but pumpkins in general. And we are working with a food specialist uh, called Sonia Lee, who has been doing a lot of a lot of work on uh, working out what varieties are best for what, and um, working at the health benefits of pumpkins. And so she came along and did a masterclass, and it was it was great to actually give information on and her knowledge of of pumpkins and and all the things that they that they're wonderful for
1: and do you have a favorite variety of pumpkin and a favorite pumpkin recipe
0: i like lots of different pumpkins for different reasons but i think my favorite is the crown prince um which one has got a brilliant name and two it's you quite often see it in instagram photos because it's a sort of silvery gray color and it looks lovely but also when you cut it open it's um got a bright sort of turmeric color flesh And it is so tasty. Um, So I think that's probably my favorite pumpkin. And in terms of pumpkin recipes, we've got loads coming out this year. So we're working really hard on with Sonia. And another great person to have is Helen Cross, who's working on some recipes for us. And uh, we've got things like granola. We've got um, last year, we we did a Scottish twist on a pumpkin pie, because that's one of the things that we get asked all the time. How do you make pumpkin pie? So we developed... Sonia developed a recipe for us for a sort of a Scottish pumpkin pie, which used the Scottish bee company honey that we have hives on the farm. So I think that's probably my favourite recipe, but there's so many coming out now that um, it's quite hard to, hard to choose.
1: And I think we're quite kind of lucky in a way that in America you get the big kind of canned pumpkin you can't really get that here so you have to use fresh i make pumpkin pie and it's fresh and you think oh i've got to steam it and mash it but it's not much nicer it's absolutely much nicer
0: and it's so much better for you because you've got all the nutrients and uh, vitamins that pumpkins actually fresh pumpkin has yeah you can't get pumpkin pumpkin uh, puree in a can here uh so which for us is a good thing
1: (laughs) (laughs) and so you can you can eat the fle- you can eat it's not the f- the flesh inside. Yeah. You can eat the seeds. Yeah. Can you eat the skin? You can eat the
0: skin. So some varieties are better for eating skin. So we've got one. So the Crown Prince is delicious. The skin. So depending on the variety, you can just chop up the pumpkin and like make wedges. So instead of having potato wedges, you could have pumpkin wedges, and you literally just chop it up, shove it in, <laughs> put it in the oven with some olive oil and seasoning, and. It's absolutely delicious. The skin of a carving variety won't be so tasty to do it that way, but actually you can roast it in the oven and pop it all in your soup. And we've actually tried that this year with one of our Halloween varieties. Just popped it all in to be roasted and put it in, in the soup. And it's 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 great. And and also added vitamins and nutrients.
1: That's good to know. Cause the one thing I hate about butternut squash is peeling it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And butternut squash, we've tried but we've tried squashes to try and find one that has a sort of texture and taste of butternut squash but we are failing at that one I think.
3: climate in Britain's really just not there even down south they struggle to grow it so up in Scotland we are definitely on a losing battle I think (laughs) going butternut squash but eh, yeah.
1: And have you found that it's become pumpkin picking has become really popular because I feel like when we were all young it was turnip and that was really hard you know, I'll do articles and things about this. And a lot of people are like, oh, what about the turnip? But actually it's become popular to have a, a pumpkin. So,
0: yeah, I think it, it is definitely, a, obviously in America, it's been huge for ages. Um, in Scotland, it's not, but there are more and more pumpkin patches popping up. And I think part of that, obviously it's Halloween, but also people really engage with coming to see, coming to visit farms. That's certainly why we started out on our, on our pumpkin adventure. We wanted to sort of introduce farming to people, to children especially, but just sort of educate them on where your food comes from and how things grow. This year, especially, it's a safe it's a safe activity that we well we think that we are we've put so many things in place to make sure that it is a really safe day out for families. And I think that's what we're all craving now. So I think this year, especially, it's it's become even more popular which is obviously great for us. But I think for everybody, it's great to get outside in the fresh air and and have a, a safe family day out.
1: And what are the challenges? Like you, You've grown, um, what do you say, wheat and was it barley?
3: Hey, wheat and oats and, and oats. beans.
1: It's a bit different, obviously.
3: Yeah it's... yeah, it's very different. <laughs> so vegetable growing was all new to me and pumpkins aren't traditionally a, a British growing crops. So we faced a huge amount of challenges trying to grow it in Scotland. The weather plays a major role in getting them ripe on time for Halloween. Getting It can cause a lot of disease issues. So we've got to cover all these points when we're growing them and it's a big learning curve. Every year we've learned a lot.
1: (laughs) And I can imagine they're the type of thing that they might just collapse in on themselves like for some reason just
3: yes we've had a lot uh, (laughs) in previous years uh, for a whole host of reasons from slugs to diseases start to rotten themselves and yeah
1: the moral of that being don't try and grow your own come somewhere like this (laughs) well it's interesting we've had quite a few followers
0: on social media reaching out and saying why have my pumpkins rotted or what have i done wrong or why do we not have any pumpkins on the plants?" Yeah, as Russ said, every year there is a challenge. This year is better than last year, but there's there's always going to be a challenge with pumpkins. Russ has promised me by year 10 we'll know what we're doing. So I'm holding him to it.
1: <laughs> it's a long-term plan. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and do you have this year do you have a particular abundance of one type or is there like a lot of different ones now?
3: Yeah, the Halloween ones have certainly done better than the culinary ones this year. The cold east wind that we got through April May time just turned the soil so dry that it caused quite a few issues for the culinary pumpkins. The Halloween ones seem to pull through it and survive better, and I don't know quite why that is, but yeah, the weather's played a bit. On that. Whereas last
0: year we had a brilliant culinary crop and our Halloween crop, um, our picking crop seem to be not do quite so well and and had more issues. So I think, yeah, every year we're going to face a challenge and and it
1: seems to be uh, unknown. And you guys, do you have Halloween plans? Are you going to just be working here? I say that like we can go out. uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Our children keep saying, so what are we doing for Halloween this year, mummy? And um, I, I don't know is the answer. It will probably be just us. We close obviously on Halloween, so it might be a case of we go to the patch on our own and um, have a sausage sizzle and, and uh, just spend some time together. Although they're involved they and love being involved, Halloween for us is usually, the guys inside is usually a sort of last minute thing. So we might dress up and go
1: down to the patch, just the, just the five of us. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Well, um, thank you very much. And uh, is, is there anything you guys want to add or does that kind of cover it? Uh, no, just
0: thanks for coming and, and use your pumpkins, cook with your pumpkins. We really want to reduce waste um, and get people sort of on our pumpkin revolution of cooking, taking them from the patch to the plate. So, yeah, please pick up a pumpkin to eat as well as carve this year.
1: Yeah, thank you very thanks. much. <laughs> thank you. Finally, we couldn't talk pumpkins and autumn without chatting about some people's favourite seasonal drink, the pumpkin spice latte. While these are now available in Starbucks and with many independents creating their own versions, I got creative and tried making one of my own at home. I'm back in my kitchen and instead of shaking up some cocktails, this week I'm going to attempt to make a pumpkin spice latte. These have been flying out of Starbucks stores since they launched in the early noughties and are a highlight of the autumn for many people. I know some independent coffee shops near me have their own versions, such as Serenity now on Great Western Road. Now I really need to admit something, I'm not a massive fan of the Starbucks one and every year I think I'll try it again just to see but every year it's far too sweet for me. If you're an independent cafe out there and your pumpkin spice latte is the best, then please let me know on Twitter, because it's definitely something that I want to get into and in theory I think looks good, but actually, in execution, it's way too sweet. Anyway, because of this, and because I'm a, a fan of all things autumn and pumpkins, as you can tell from this podcast, eh, this has led me on to making me want to try my own at home so that I can control the amount of sugar. I've got a recipe from Tesco, which is currently on the Scotsman and Drink site, so if you go in there and search for pumpkins, you will see that along with lots of other interesting articles such as uh, how not to waste your pumpkin. So I'm going to make this just now and talk you through the process. So the thing you're going to need that makes a pumpkin spice latte is obviously pumpkin puree and the spices associated with pumpkin spice. So cinnamon and mixed spice and I'm also going to add in some nutmeg because I like it. You'll need coffee obviously. So you can either use ready-made espresso which is still hot or instant, you're going to need milk or a dairy-free alternative, a milk throther, cocoa powder for the top and as I mentioned the pumpkin puree. Now as we discussed with Lucy the, the sort of tinned American stuff isn't readily available Tesco recipe cites this but having been to Tesco recently I wasn't able to find it and in order not to waste your pumpkin the best thing to do is to get your pumpkin whether it's scraped from your Halloween carved one or if you've just chopped some up which I have Steam it so it's soft and then stick it in a food processor. This is quite labour intensive obviously and it might make you want to pop out to your friendly local Starbucks. But once you've got the puree you're going to have a lot more than you're going to need. So you can stick it in a container in the fridge and you'll be ready to make more pumpkin spice lattes much quicker. So essentially this is a bit of a, a microwave job which is great. So to make this you combine the pumpkin puree, sugar or if you're using another sweetener such as honey or agave syrup, spices and milk and a microwave proof jug. The recipe online is for quite a few people, so I'm going to use a mug. I'm just going to fill my mug three quarters full with milk, the sugar, and the spices, and I'm going to stick it in the microwave. I'm going to leave obviously a little bit from the top so that one, the milk doesn't go crazy and boil up, and two, we can get the pumpkin pewter in. So, I've got some milk, I've got some spices, so that's cinnamon, see, a spice, and I've got some nutmeg. I'm just going to add in the pumpkin and then stir And then I'm going to microwave. And depending on how much you're making, the instructions say between a minute and a half and two minutes, but this is just one mug for me, so I'm going to put it in for 30 seconds, try it, 30 seconds, try it. Obviously, if you don't want to use a microwave or you don't have a microwave, you can do this on the hob. It's probably hot enough for me and I have made some hot coffee. So essentially, all you do now is combine the two. Add the coffee to the mug of, which is now, hot milk with spices and pumpkin puree. Add the coffee, mix it up and then if you want, you can top it with some squishy cream and some cocoa powder or you can just drink it as it is. Again, I'm not a massive fan of squishy cream, so I'm not going to do that, but obviously knock yourself out. And there you have your own pumpkin spice latte at home. Cheers. Thanks to my guests, Rebecca, Lucy and Ross, and thanks to you for listening to this episode of Scran. Like any foodie, I'm always looking for that five-star review, so please rate and review and subscribe to Scran. Scran is a laudable production and is available wherever you get your podcasts. But for immersive and interactive content, you can download the Entail app. Scran is presented and co-produced by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Morven McIntyre.